0: said so that people think they know you. Do they know you by your songs? Do you think? Um, I think they know me more from from uh, what's written about me. Mm. You know, which is uh, which. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I I think that there's a lot, a great deal of me in those songs, even even in in songs where. I'm inventing characters, most of those characters are basically myself I think or, or things that I'd like to be or things that um, I'm afraid to be or whatever but they're very much myself and I, particularly on the, the last record it's basically autobiographical right across the board apart from a couple of obvious songs like Christina the Astonishing for example or Jonathan's Wife which is just a, you know, a tale of blood and revenge and all that sort of stuff. But, but the rest of the songs are, are basically songs about me and about the way I felt and about experiences that, I, that I've gone through, really. And, but they're, they're dressed up in characters. Characters are acting out these things for me. And the reason why I do that is because I, 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 um, I just uh, love to tell stories and, and I just think I do that.
1: Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. In season three, we are running the gamut of all of our favorite bands and artists and albums. Uh, each of us have individually have nominated 14 records by different artists to talk about and discuss and analyze We each get a turn to go around the horn, and this episode, we get to talk about one of our dear favorites, Nick Cave. And uh, if you haven't noticed in the feed, this is part three of a little mini-series that we did on uh, Nick Cave. The first two are um, the history of Nick Cave, a little bit of background. We got even a guest appearance by um, one of Steve's intrepid Hollywood friends, who now lives in New York. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I've, got,
2: I've got i've just my, my the map of stars that i know it's just amazing sometimes starting with the little people like you and going as big as the the guy that slings hamburgers at that place uh right off 16th street in sacramento
1: absolutely absolutely i mean um steve's a mover and a shaker when it comes to social circles me and eric we tend to be the hangers on but uh we were lucky enough to talk Steve and his star power into having a show where we talk about music. And uh, for those that are potentially eating dinner right now, we hope that we're not disturbing anything. Um, so uh, so uh, without really further ado, we've already kind of uh, talked about our, our background on Nick Cave. And um, what I nominated for us to talk about in terms of one of Nick Cave's albums was Uh, The album from 1992, um, titled Henry's Dream, and when it was uh, time to nominate an album from Nick Cave, I did ponder long and hard about which one to to select. It was between Henry's Dream, Love Let Let Love In, um, No More Shall We Part, uh, and if I wanted to get real froggy, the Abattoir Blues, Lyre of Orpheus. But I decided to kind of go uh, a little bit transitional record, if you will, right before he really starts to flesh out that uh, Nick cave kind of lush romantic sound and uh so selected henry's dream
2: what made you what what made you pick uh, even those four what are those your favorites or what was the, why did it narrow down to just those four
1: I wanted to pick one that May have been a little under the radar, so um, that kind of took off Let Love In because that was probably um, his most well-known song with Red Right Hand. Um, I tend to like talking more about Nick Cave um, in this era of his career versus um, his uh, post-birthday party, like right after the birthday party broke up and I didn't want to go um, a little too somber with uh, No More Shall We Part, which is a great record. And just for the interest of time, I wanted to have a kind of a concise record that we can all kind of just talk about with some really strong songwriting. Uh, but Murder Ballads could have been one in there as well. Um, but I think it, that one lends itself to a lot of traditional songs that he then reinterpreted. Um, so I kind of wanted to get a little bit more of original it's
3: got a lot of guests on there, too, which kind of strays from the traditional Bad Seed core core group.
1: Right.
2: It also has a whole a whole book written on it, so, you know, it's uh, you can go read that 33 and a third book, which I suggest, but uh, there's no podcast about it. That's why you came here tonight to talk about Henry's dream.
1: I mean, I certainly could have picked, I think, Let Lovin', which did have kind of the classic Nick Cave and the Bad Seed lineup with Nick Cave, Mick Harvey. Blexa Bargeld, Martin P. Casey, Conway Savage, and Thomas Wydler. Um That one also did feature Warren Ellis, who would become uh, Nick Cave's uh, red right hand, if you will.
2: Well, what's interesting about that is that that entire lineup, except Warren Ellis, is on this album tonight. So you're, That's you're right. Half, we're almost there.
1: And this record is the first appearance of um, Martin P. Casey and Conway Savage. So... Like I said, we're kind of starting to get into that, uh, to the classic lineup sound.
2: Yes, and they both, they both have been, Martin P. Casey's been with the band since, as you heard in our exhausting but fun History of Nick Cave episodes, and I believe Conway Savage has been around since then as well.
1: Uh, Yeah, actually, Conway is no longer with us. Um, He did pass um, in uh, a couple years ago, or yeah, a couple years ago, I think he succumbed to cancer.
2: No, you're right, Eric. Or uh, no, wow, the uh, triple, uh, triple my my words here. And w- but the reason, the reason, Mark, I called you Eric, is I was going to say, shit, you're right, Mark. Do me a favor and edit that out. Unlike Eric, who probably would. Be-
3: <laughs> but actually, do edit out the part where Steve says, "That's right, Eric," or "You're right, Eric," and just save that for oh, me no. in a folder for later.
1: <laughs> this has become a, a There'll weird be exception. a ringtone.
2: This has become a weird inception now. All right, moving on. Yes, no, I'm (laughs) sorry. Conway Savage did pass on. You're right.
1: Yeah. um, Thomas Wilder,
2: I believe, has been part of the group since, or at least in and out of it.
1: Right. Um, He was also, uh, there's that uh, Jim Scavalanos. Uh, I'm sorry I just butchered your last name, sir. Um, But he's kind of the new drummer that's been um, hanging around. But he's not on this record either um so yeah this is mark hello everyone hi um and i'm always joined with steve who was talking there and then you heard eric um plead for any sort of attention um that or affection that steve could give him so that's my thing we've made our introductions <laughs> he's like a uh, a beaten dog <laughs> well without further ado let's just get right into the meat of this episode Um, Unless you have any Bowie bulletins or Nine Inch News that we need to uh, read through the ticker tape.
2: We've actually, Eric, we we actually shared shared a moment last weekend uh, when, you know, we we set aside the the boss-intern relationship and enjoyed a Saturday evening together. Would you like to elaborate?
3: Yeah, and and by that we mean we texted while we watched something in two separate houses. But uh, we did both buy a ticket to, uh, just for one day, the Bowie tribute as curated by a friend of the show, Mike Garson, a longtime pianist for Bowie. Um, wasn't sure really what to expect. We knew Trent Reznor, his wife, Mary Queen, were going to be performing, Atticus Ross, of course. We knew some other, uh, you know, people like uh, William Corgan were going to be on there. But, uh, there you know, we weren't sure. We knew that uh, all of the living alumni, people that have played with Bowie throughout the years and his <laughs> band were going to be there too. Um... I just don't know if we knew exactly how special it would be. It was, I mean, I'm sure it's, it's hit the news feeds. All of you listening, if you got into us through Nine Inch Nails, you've for sure seen those YouTube clips. Um, it was uh, it was pretty fun. There was a couple uh, couple uh, clunkers uh, throughout the night, but I couldn't even count them on one hand. For the most part, everything was very engaging. From um, pulling out uh, the... Uh, it's, uh, the singer from uh living color to perform uh uh young americans uh to bernard what was his name bernard uh howard is that his name the uh i'll look it up I'll yeah the, he, he, he he was so good i should look it up yeah he was because he was a uh, rolling stones backup singer and did some stuff with bowie and he showed up for two songs and uh he did the uh um... bernard,
2: bernard bernard fowler and i was yep so yeah you had um oh geez uh what's the lead singer of uh in living color i love that that goddamn uh, uh
3: living color uh is cory uh glover
2: yeah Corey glover he was great he knocked it out with young americans and then bernard fowler but well, he did he did he they closed with heroes which i damn near cried it was so good uh, their version of it and what was the other song that he sang uh, he was, did like,
3: that yeah he did the candidate and uh sweet thing he did that that medley
2: yeah, so I've, I've never... I'm sure I've heard his voice before, but I had no idea of his career. And the majority of his career was uh, a, uh, a backup singer for The Stones, including all of their solo albums. Like, they all, they're all they they all all love this guy. He's like... He's, he's an honorary Rolling Stones since the 80s, basically. And what was the other uh, act yeah. you
3: told me about? <laughs> yes, yeah, this is the one that I've brought up like three times on the show that I found out after we poo-pooed Adrian Sherwood. He produced a... Uh, an industrial dub band called Tackhead, with members of Living Color, and then this guy singing for it, um, and notably, like one of you know one of the first, and actually, let's be honest, one of the only like black industrial bands, and uh, they're fantastic. Uh, anyway, so he was in that group too.
2: Yeah, that was good. And then there was a an artist who I always read about at korang.com named uh, young named Youngblood, who's some young uh, guy from across the pond he did a great rendition of uh, life on Mars and uh, Anna Calvi, who we brought up on the show before she did uh, a song off
3: black star. What was the song that she did? Uh, Eric? uh did, Oh, did she do, I can't give it all away or something? Um, no, no huh.
2: well, shame on us. She did a song of black star.
3: Well, and then uh, let's not forget about Gary Oldman who brought down the damn house with he did I can't read, uh, which was a a tin machine song, but he did the Bowie version that was off the uh, ice store movie. Yeah, they actually redeemed. He actually, for one moment, Mark, redeemed tin machine, if you believe it
2: or not, made uh, made tin machine almost worth it for a second. It was uh, it was good. But yeah, all all these performances were different. A combination of they were all recording in different areas in, in the world, like zoom style. A few of them they did live together in some kind of studio. They pieced it all together. It was a lot of fun. I think it was it was worthwhile. Uh, If they were released in an official version of it, I definitely would pick it up. And I I have to say uh, that the the Trent Reznor vocals on Fantastic Voyage might be (laughs) the best he's ever sang. that. I'm not being I'm not exaggerating here. I was really impressed with the notes he was hitting there. What do you guys think about that?
1: Oh, yeah. oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I mean, I was uh, very, very impressed with that performance. Um, it, he was uh, doing the Tupac hologram thing, it looked like, um, but it was it was pretty awesome. Um, how they made it look like he was actually standing on stage with Garson was a pretty neat little trick. Um, and uh, yeah, no, great performance. And I'm glad the hair is back.
2: Yeah, yeah the, the greasy the greasy 90s hair is back and you really see it in that. Uh... That that fashion video.
1: Oh yeah, uh, Professor Snape.
3: Goofy as hell, but so much fun. The, the 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 just TV stacked on top of each other. Trent just mugging and crossing his arms uh, as he's singing. Uh, Mirror Queen, giving it her all. It was that. It just it just they had a blast. They just had and I was. He did a good good song choice too. I mean, he's done uh, Trent's done covers over the years, as we talked about of Bowie, and he could have just pulled anything out of the hat there, but he he did a couple of new things. It was awesome.
2: Yeah, I also appreciate that they were thinking of us because we were able to combine tonight Bowie bulletins and nine inch news into one segment. Mm.
1: Oh yeah, finally—that's for sure. Um, and just in the name of efficiency, you know. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything else new out there. Um, right. Correct. All right, kicking off Henry's dream uh, was recorded at the. Sound City Studios down in Southern California, later to be made into a documentary by Dave Grohl, um, which is actually a really good documentary. We've talked about that documentary when we talked about Mantra, another Trent Reznor appearance. Um,
3: yeah, I, I really liked that. I I was I, I knew I'd be mildly interested, but I I was thoroughly
1: entertained for the whole thing. Okay. It was. It was very good. It was produced by David Briggs, um, who was more known for his work with Neil Young and Crazy Horse, and he even apparently did an Alice Cooper record um, that was very acrimonious, and so was this one. Nick Cave really did not uh, really like the production work by David Briggs. Uh, Briggs wanted that kind of live-in-the-studio, or live-in-the-studio method, excuse me, um, but uh, that was not something that uh, really uh, captured the Nick Cave sound that he was going for. So much so that uh, Nick Cave wanted to release a live record called Live Seeds um, to really make sure that the songs on this record really got the justice that they deserved. Um, and then later in um, like 2010... Probably about ten, eleven years ago, um, there was this real big push to remaster all of Nick Cave's work, and this certainly was remixed. Did you guys remix or re- listen to the remastered version, or did you guys not have access to that?
3: All one? I listened to was a remastered one. I actually thought they okay, maybe just too.
1: they just they just sweetened
3: the sound a little bit. Is it is it a is it a remix from the original? Uh, it's just
1: it's remastered, but I mean, honestly, I don't really hear like a. When we did our Bowie season, um, when Tony Visconti um, sometimes went back behind the, uh, the boards to really kind of goose some of the Bowie records, you could kind of tell the difference. Yeah, The remastered version maybe sounds a little bit more br- big, bigger, if that makes sense. Um, sounds a little bit more airy, mm-hmm. rather than something that was just really tight and compressed, maybe in the original Wow. I, got a,
3: I got a question. Uh, maybe Steve knows this, but um, I read that too. That that Nick Cave hoped that that live seeds would more capture, um, which is funny because if he didn't like the live in the studio sound, but he thought the official sound of the album should be the live album, that's just that's interesting. But I read the same thing. I was confused by that. Did Wait,
2: he, I don't know if he didn't. I don't know if he didn't like the live in the studio set. Like whatever the end result of the studio sound was, he claims he didn't like it. But then years later, he walked it back. So I don't know if he was just bitching, Ooh. but I don't know. Like the original version of this, I've never had a problem with it. The old CD copy I had. Yeah. Uh, now, I've actually said this, like some CD copies of Old Nick Cave. It just sounds like the era. It just sounds like the late 80s, early 90s. That's the production value you get. It is no worse or no better than anything else out there. I, uh, I do think the, the remastered version is a little bit more like Mark said. Uh, they separate the instruments a little more. But it was never a problem in the first place, in my opinion.
3: What about the uh, the live seeds version of these songs? Is, is the arrangement different, or is it just a little bit more like raucous or something?
2: It's 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 like any it's like any other live Nick Cave album. I think it's just got a little bit more of a a bite to it. But I don't think uh, it, no huge differences, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I would say there are some really great recordings on that um, Live Seeds album. Uh, The live version of Mercy Seat is uh, very propulsive with really some excellent, just big drums on that song. Um, I I think it's a great live record. Background-wise, like we had mentioned earlier, this is the first appearance of Conway Savage on piano, organ, and backing vocals, and Martin P. Casey on bass. You have uh, some guest musicians doing some cello and some violin work. And some Anton Corbin was the uh, photographer for that uh, art direction and for the design. And we all know Anton Corbin.
2: He also did the, yeah, uh, Anton Corbin's done a billion great music videos, especially for Depeche Mode. He did the uh, sperm cover artwork for the Metallica album Load and Reload. And he did the album cover for this. And uh, we talked about it a bit in the last podcast, but it bears mentioning once again, this album cover is fantastic. It's uh, It's got like a, a 1950s era billboard and just Nick Cave with a... I think he's... Is he just wearing a jacket with nothing under it? I, I think. Yep. No, oh, not I, really. No, he's got...
1: he's has got like the a shirt.
2: He's doing like a Reservoir Dogs type look. And, yeah. And, and, he, and he's holding on to his lapels. And if you zoom in... It's actually kind of ultra detailed. Uh, if you look closely at it, there's a lot of just a lot of detail to it. I can't tell if it's a photo or maybe like a, a Boris Vallejo style painting. It's a, it's a great cover, I think.
3: Anton Corbin, his, uh, his video series that they did, those, those DVDs of music videos. You know, he's got so many good ones and his art direction is just stellar. I'm thinking of like um, some of the Echo and the Bunnyman videos they did. just And of course, Depeche Mode.
2: So yeah, this album cover is just, there's a sunset and it's just, uh, you got Nick Cave in his jacket, Henry's dream in a very 1950s noir font by Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds on a, a billboard with light shining on it. It's a, it's a great album cover.
1: Really is. It really is. Um, in the, uh, Jay Sherman roundup, uh, it generally received, um, positive critical reviews. Um. You know, some of the things that really set it apart was Nick Cave's vocals, definitely his baritone, um, kind of reminiscent of more uh, of a Leonard Cohen. He's kind of really leaning into that sound. Um, Rolling Stone praised the album as being provocative, albeit, albeit harrowing music. Uh, Robert Christgau from the Village Voice definitely mr fucking sourpuss is always really raining on the 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 albums that we tend to like that he quoted that if this is your idea of great writing you may be ripe for his cult otherwise forget it the voice alone definitely won't do the trick
3: what
2: a very happy man he must be
1: god i'm sure he's fun at parties (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) Um, so it,
2: it's, it's, as if, it's as if the phrase, well, actually like became a human form.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs> I tell you, anytime we come across this guy, uh, reviewing something, it is always just the exact opposite.
2: Well, it's interesting. He says that about Nick Cave because uh, I, uh, Nick Cave, a, a favorite artist of ours, the, the guy for the most part, their, their albums always pretty much get pretty good reviews. I, I, it's just consistent, consistent quality almost all the time. And even if it's not your thing, you still could say, ah, it's, it's executed well. So I, I don't know where that guy is uh, coming from.
1: Absolutely. I mean, um, one thing that's certainly on display on this record is, um, I mean, Nick Cave is very good at his narrative songwriting skills, um, but you get quite a bit of that on, on this record as well. That carries over into the next record that he does, which is Let Love In, and then, of course, Murder Ballads, which is all narrative songwriting. Um, so I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm definitely ready to start the record.
2: Yeah, we've, uh, we've talked a lot about the whole history of Mr. Cave and his bad seeds. So I think now we should just focus on this one that it said it was, it was written in his Sojourn in Brazil, he had a kid at the time, and um, I think that informs some of the album. Maybe Eric will bring that up. I don't know. But let's, let's get into it.
1: All right, let's get into it. So track one, Papa Won't Leave You, Henry. And
0: the rain pissed down upon me, and it washed me all the way, saying, oh, Papa won't leave you, Henry. Oh, Papa won't leave you, boy. Oh, Papa won't leave you, Henry. Oh, Papa won't leave you, boy. Right. Well, over the road is hard, and many fall by the side. But a Papa wanted to leave you, so there ain't no need to cry. And I went on down the road. Like something you should spent an age sizzling the city reminded me of face
1: So that was Papa Won't Leave You Henry The album starts out with um, A Guitar Acoustic guitar riff That uh, sounds like you're walking into a saloon um, It certainly has a story Seems like uh, an apocalyptic tale Being told here And uh, it reminds me of The Road. But before I kind of get into my thoughts on it, I'd like to first start with Stephen on what he thinks about Papa Won't Leave You, Henry.
2: Well, you know, this album starts out, and this album has this this strange, I just want to get this point out there now, it applies to a lot of the songs, like uh, back alley exoticness to it. I don't know how else to explain that. And that's kind of the tone of a lot of this record. And I think some of it has to do with it being written in Brazil. There's also a bit of the Americana touch to a lot of it. And next to Murder Ballads, which is a lot of uh, songs that are, you know, classical interpretations of Murder Ballads. Uh, Murder Ballads also has like a feel of things going on inside of a town. This record, though, really could be called Bad Seeds Town. I I think a lot of these songs... Uh, struggling not to sound like Eric and making up stories that aren't there. But I feel like a lot of these songs come from different parts of the same area or different perspectives of things going on around the same time for the same group of people. And it all starts with, with this song. Um, The opening acoustic guitar strum kind of sets this table for the, the hard strumming Americana sound you're going to get on this album. It's a, it's a, it's a perfect way for the album to kind of just welcome you in. And it, start, it starts to strum and he starts to sing about these things he's seen in the, the mad old buzzard, the reverend, which is a great line. And then the whole band just kicks in and the album is here before you. And it's, it's, it's a great table setter. uh, it, it, And it really, this song in particular, has some of the best Nick Cave crazy Preacher pointing and stepping high kick type of uh, approach to the uh, delivery of the lyrics. I uh, I remember when when we saw them at the Warfield. I I don't believe they played this song. I'm gonna have to go look at my notes. But this type of lyrical delivery is definitely some of my favorite. Nick Cave, just you know, eyes full of flames, pointing at you, stepping around, kind of kind of stuff. And and it just you're off to the races with that type of Nick Cave on this song.
3: it's a a great track
1: all right yes uh eric what's your what's your take are you gonna be leaving henry
3: oh man this this particular track i mean let's let's just get it out of the way i mean i think it's my favorite song on the album which i know it it may be i don't know maybe that's a basic choice but this song this song does it for me um and i'll I'll tell you the musical moment i don't have a lot of notes on the music you're right it's it's like dark it's dark folk with a drive to it it's it's got atmosphere um but the uh when it builds it up and then it drops it down a few steps i'm specifically talking about the uh when it says like the rains are here to stay um you know piss down upon it and i wash me all the way like that whole like mm-hmm. the whole down drop just that uh, makes my my hair stand up and i stand at attention and i just can't if you see me in my house listening to it i'm just like slapping elbows around around as, well, as I mean, that I mean to, to your
2: point Eric I mean some of the imagery in this song is so visceral but the music backs it up big time like that there's that that part where it talks about uh he's being led through a room after he's filled with drink from room to room and there's these violins bussing in the background and just incredibly visceral. oh yeah uh, and then he talks about he talks about getting a dick slapped across his cheek <laughs> and I, I feel <laughs> that you know the music This is before Warren Ellis, but I think the string work in this album is not your typical string work a lot of times. And they do their best to have uh, some of the instrumentation, even if it is classical, be as uh, aggressive as some of the lyrics you're you're hearing. Right. And I, I did just look, Mark, by the way, that Warfield show we went to, this was the second to the last song they
3: played that night.
1: Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was this one or if it was "Brother, My Cup Is Empty," but I think yeah, that sounds about right.
3: So lyrically, this song, um, yeah, it does. I it does have shades of apocalyptic stuff, and that comes up a few times in this album. Um, yeah, this, what one, I,
2: this one has the the flood the flood imagery is back. Right. There's there's this song has uh, speaks of floods. It also speaks
3: of babies being born without brains. Right. Uh, what I what I like. What I like about uh, his storytelling is he will fall back and forth between thick layers of metaphor and like quite literal storytelling. And the literal story of this song is, I mean, it's just a guy who's got a hard life. Um, He is filled with remorse, um, specifically the loss of a friend um, and the the loss of possibly an old lover or somebody like that. Um, that died horribly uh, and is not finding comfort anywhere and is reminded of a comforting lullaby that his father sang to him as a child, Papa won't live you, Henry. Um, although that ended up being a lie and the boy was left and left to this life alone, this hard life alone. He still, he still can zero in on that as kind of a, a point of comfort, though it, though it was empty. Um, and yes, he, it, so now he turns to comfort in, the, in a house, in a brothel. And we get that last verse. Um, yeah, the first verse is talking about you know regret, remorse, and then it takes us to the last verse where he, you know the church doesn't give him any 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 uh, comfort. The, uh, it just reminds him that if God took his friend, God must be cruel. Um, and he finds that comfort in drink at the brothel um, and with that dick slapped across his face, uh, and um, just a just a rousing. Uh, it's a hopeless song, but like. Nick Cave is never a nihilist. There is always something, there is always a little bit of warmth in there. And uh, uh, I just think it's a genius song lyrically. Um, and uh, just uh, an absolutely rousing, uh, rousing little, uh, little jig. I'm, I'm all about it. And, and, and one thing about this
2: song, that it, it sets a bar for the rest of this record. This album has a lot of, um, and, and many bad seed albums do, but the backup vocals on this album are top notch. And there's some call and response on this opening track, and the whoa whoa's, Uh I mean, how how do you not sing along to the, the the went down on this road with them and the band singing along? And we're gonna we're gonna talk more about the band singing along in the next track. Oh my god! But uh, well, Mark, I, I think that uh, opening
3: track, Eric and I both say it's a it's a good one. Steve, your connection to like there's like a shared universe on this album. I also don't think it's a there might've been a time where Nick thought he was doing maybe a, a story because I feel like this Henry character maybe comes up a few times, but maybe much, much like a dream. You feel things that are familiar, but it's, it's, it, you know, dreams are, are definitely warped and, and it, not as they seem. Um, I feel like this story of a friend, you know, uh, his friend dying horribly, this kind of, these brothels come up a few times across this album. um, this kind of like uh, this criminal element. I, I like how you said bad seed town. Like that's that's kind of that's kind of what it's painting here. And while the stories, you know, aren't there's no there's no story on this album. I feel like every there's little cameos from characters in some songs popping up in others. Um, I appreciate yeah,
2: that. I don't I don't think uh, I don't think the Nick Cave is. Uh, well, I mean, the guy's written plays. He's written movies. He's written stories. He's You know, he's he's no stranger to a narrative. I, but I don't think he's the, for the Bad Seeds have ever really sat down to make a concept album that's the story of X, with the exception of Murder Ballads, which was just a theme. Um, but on this album, there definitely is just their headspace at the time. Some of the they come back to uh, even right down to some of the imagery uh, gets duplicated in a couple of songs we'll go over. But I, I don't think it's a you know one one bad night. In Bad Seeds Town, it all started with Henry. Like, that's not what's going on here. But the, the vibe is carried over through the songs.
1: Certainly. Um, Nick Cave was inspired to write this song um, with the birth of his uh, uh, son in May of 1991. Uh, he had told Mojo Magazine in 2009 that he composed the song more or less completely in his head while standing over his son Luke's crib. And you can get that sense because it does sound like a horror song done in a sea shanty, kind of that call and response style that you guys are talking about. You do get that interplay. What you think is um, obviously a father and son relationship. And in his head, he's essentially going through all of these horrors um, that he's going to, that he maybe has gone through or will go through, but at the end of the day, He's not going to be leaving his his boy. And he's going to be able to be with him by his side. For the road is long and the road is hard, he's obviously uh, probably talking about life. And just know that he's always going to be there for him. And some of the imagery in here is is wild. Um, you know, the mad old buzzard, the reverend shrieked and flapped about life after you're dead. There's another line that really sticks out to me. Let me see if I can find it. It's about... Uh, the moon is uh, uh, ty- exhausted or something like that, and it looks like it deserves your pity. Um, he just does a really good job of just creating like uh, imagery. Uh, I think he does a, a very, very, very good job of being able to paint the picture through words. And um, whenever a lyricist is able to do that, to really kind of place you in there, it's, it's uh, very immersive. You got you to gotta tip your hat to that. Um, I'm a big fan of this song. It 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 comes out right out of the gate, um, stomping. Yeah, one thing also worth mentioning, the album title is a reference to a long poem by John Berryman uh, called The Dream Songs. Uh, I didn't do much digging on what that is and what the influence could be, but uh, apparently there you go. But yeah. Track one starts out with a bang. Uh, Big, big fan. I'll think about this song all the time whenever I think about Nick Cave. It it always hits my, the song is amazing. It should be on every uh, highlight record of of Nick Cave's. So with that, uh, we can uh, unveil the dream. Um, Apparently, this could potentially be Henry telling his friend Joe that he had a dream. I had a dream, Joe. Track two. Um, so, this was released as a single. Um, you get uh, that organ sound as if uh, Nick Cave's about to take you to church. So, Eric, tell me about your dream on I Had a Dream, Joe.
3: Yeah, this is cool. And this is where I was convinced, I was almost convinced, you know, because. Th- Really, this is my first time giving this this album its day in court. I knew some of the songs um, scattered around, but I actually this is not one of the ones we physically owned. So um, anyways, uh, point being, I uh, after the first song in this song, I could have been convinced that we were going as like a story album. Um, of course, it's quickly abandoned after this, but... Um, You wonder if the character, you know, Henry or whoever from the first song is talking about their friend that died tragically. Um, This song is about a dream uh, about Joe, uh, the narrator's friend dying. Uh, Joe is a pimp. So it's kind of in that, in that brothel world that we we got from the first song. Um, And Joe, uh, Joe's religious. And despite his prayer, uh he still dies dies terribly in the dream which also cuts reminds me of the first track it's just too closely related because that all came with the the buzzard reverend and the reminder that despite joe's faith you know he still died you know still died terribly um but that's i mean really it is just you know there's just if you just take any con- like idea of it connected to the first song out you know it is just that kind of creepy foreboding feeling that um Either that, you know, somebody you care about is going to die, or just the dreams you have racked with guilt after somebody has died, um, especially if you had anything to do with it, which, you know, given the, the moral standpoint of a lot of Nick Cave's characters, that could very well be the case. Uh, another one with a lot of great imagery, you know, pimp in a seersucker suit, sucked a toothpick, pointed his finger at me. Anyways, I, uh, this song is, is awesome. It's got this walking bass line, and then it pounds its way to a hooky k- chorus. Got some of the best, most like the b- best range of singing on this album, and of course, uh, Steve mentioned and while we'll him bring it up, but those backup singers are are awesome. Um, what a great track too, as we've talked about before. The perfect track two takes it down a notch, maybe in tempo, but not necessarily in weight or intensity. And this certainly ramps it up in that in that in that regard. So, fantastic little uh, little track after this any notions i had of it being a concept album went out the window but i do like how it's kind of connected to that first track kind of fun
2: all right well yeah, you got, you've got the the opening track is a tour de force and uh, as soon as it's done though this you get the uh, the i had a dream with the the haunted organ there's a lot of great organ work on this album and that that that, that i had a dream refrain it lingers there for a minute before the song kicks off in earnest. And the song really gets going with the whole band chiming in. And uh, I could see, you know, Nick doing a high kick as he starts singing. This is prime track two placement. I I think this is a great track two, kicking things up a notch. You catch a breath with the, I had a dream and then it kicks it up a notch. And for me, it's a, it's a favorite song. This is top tier the 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 power of the the delivery of some of the lyrics I, I think he does some of his best lyrical work up to this point it might not sound incredibly special but if you guys listen for it he does some vocalizations with the uh, the I had a dreams which is uh he just like gives it a little bit more he carries the notes a bit more with these I had a dreams as the song goes on and I don't there's something about this track which makes me feel like even though I kind of got into these bands at the same time. I I feel like this is the kind of song, this album, actually, you can't tell me that a band like the Blackheart Procession didn't listen to this album and say, Hey, you know what? I'm hearing a lot of stuff here that I kind of want to go in this direction. And I I feel like I had a dream Joe kind of kind of is a like the whole template for maybe like a, you know, Immortal Tropico type record. I mean, what what do you think, Eric?
3: Yeah, definitely. Um... Uh, that whole kind of dark Americana. I actually made that connection about a later track, not on this one, but I see what you're, dark
2: Americana, but, but also there's, there's shades of just, you know, exotic to it
3: all. Right, right, right. No, definitely. Um, you no know, I, I made that connection on a later track, but, uh, I think the Oregon ties it to any handful of Blackheart Procession song.
2: Yeah, you can do that. Uh, I, I think that the, uh, the drum line on this song is rollicking. It's great. The, the drums are great. They just are propulsive. They just keep just, urging you forward there, there's kind of just this this whole at the same time in this track there's a bit of a preacher man thing going on at the same time a, a rabid person de- de- describing what they're seeing and their dreams delivery going on nick Cave kind of takes two it, it, he does this often where he sings from a few different perspectives in his songs and i think he's joe uh, that the singer is joe in the song but also the person hearing about joe i, I don't know I'm not going to show my math. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. Uh, Blixa has a great, just uh, brief guitar solo on this one. It's just noisy and just awesome. And also speaking of noisy and awesome, there is some saloon piano going on. If you listen to it throughout the song during the louder parts, the the, the, where did you go, Joe? Sorry if I just yelled at you. There's some piano going on in the background there that's awesome. And And the whole time, You've got people just yelling about their, their seersucker suits and how ridiculous they look. It's, it's wonderful. And those people yelling are the rest of the band, the backup vocals in this track, the rest of the band saying, I had a dream are wonderful. The bad scenes, backup vocals in this track. Perfection. I love this song. Mark, what do you think about your own song?
1: Uh, It's a, it's another great, solid track. Um, it, starts out like a, uh, you're walking into church, you've got the organ going, and he's, you know, greeting the parishioners before he really starts going into his uh, fire and brimstone act, and you do get that religious imagery, but it's almost like those churches that you see um, where they're speaking in tongues and foaming at the mouth and um, passing out and he's going around touching foreheads. That's the kind of imagery that I'm getting here. Um, And I think it's it's very effective in that sense. Um, The seersucker suit uh, character, apparently it was pointed out when I was kind of digging around the internet that Cave himself played a character that fit that description in the movie Johnny Suede, starring Brad Pitt, movie I've never seen. Um, but apparently, that movie came out, I think, the year before uh, the release of this record. Um, foaming Mouth, that's also mentioned later in uh, one of his later records on The Curse of Millhaven. Uh, so, certainly, that imagery of just madness, foaming at the mouth of uh, religiosity, uh, that's what I'm getting here. Um, and the dream itself does not seem to be like a pleasant dream by any means. If anything, he's trying to uh, convey, don't go down the dark road. Um, and this is the dream that I had. It was almost like a vision of apocalypse. Yeah, it, it, it also has kind of this kind of rockabilly type sent feeling for me as well. Better version of that because that rollicking like um drum beat that you were kind of talking about. I just envisioned like Johnny Cash's backup band playing that type of drum line um at Folsom Prison. So I just it, he's definitely melding a lot of influences here gospel, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. Uh, it all works, it all works.
2: Yeah, you hit the nail on the head. That's I think that's what a lot of you, the you're gonna get that sound in a lot of the bad seeds, but I think on this album you get a lot of that. And it's a it's a good blend on the on this record.
1: I'm on record, I do love just kind of how the band all sings together and those like really just trying to it's Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, but the bad seeds are also gonna be accompanying him in the vocal work. I, I do always like that. Um they're doing that a lot on this record, and it's it, it does have that kind of that raucous back alley type sound like guys are just surrounding a, a trash can on fire uh, trying to keep warm. And like, like Frank, uh, the best like, way to do that is to sing
2: like, you know, like, like the darkest nights of Frank Stallone's soul.
1: <laughs> That's right. All right. So let's go into the third track and we'll go straight to it. With straight to you, and the slows
0: have sharpened their beans. This is the time about This is the time.
1: And that was straight to you. Um, uh, Probably a song played at uh, many a alternative slash goth weddings. Um, It was also released as a single. uh, single. And I want to hear if it was played at Steve's wedding. Steve, was straight to you played at your wedding?
2: No, that was a ship song. But this song could be a good substitute. And I think what we do have here is even though the ship song predates this song, this is a continuation of them saying, Hey, we can do romantic balladry. And uh, it doesn't always have to be, you know, have a grisly twist, but at the same time, this very beautiful song has these crazy, like apocalyptic visions to it, to where it is a love song. But at the same time, it's like singing about the end of the world being as powerful as their love or something. I've never quite grasped it. Maybe Eric has something more to say about that. Uh, it's a beautiful song, though. I feel like it's a cousin. It sets the table for um, Into Your Arms on uh, The Boatman's Call. I feel like they, for, for whatever reason, these two songs always in my mind are compa- uh, connected. I think it's quite perfect, really. I, I think it's a, a sign of the bad seeds maturing right in front of us. Um, it's a very. Very beautiful track. Um, very interesting that at this this time, Nick and Metallica both wrote a same version of the content of the song, Nothing Else Matters. James wrote it about his girlfriend he never saw on tour, and Nick kind of did the same thing here about his baby's mama, I think. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up because I was listening to the Black Album yesterday, but they were recorded around the same time and have that same content about, Hey, you're the only one that matters. I will go straight to you. Eric, what do you, what do you think about this? I've got a, I've got a lyric, a lyric thing I'm holding in my pocket. I want to see if you
3: bring it up. You got it. Uh, it is, uh, it's great. I mean, it's, uh, I think you were spot on about It's full of apocalyptic imagery. Um, but you know, I guess it, it it's whether or not the song is literally about the apocalypse. He's talking about, um, the towers of ivory are crumbling, and the swallows have sharpened their beaks. And apparently, that's a reference to uh, just these birds that 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 carry the soul, your you know, your soul uh, to the afterlife uh, during the end times. Uh, the chariots of angels are colliding. I'll run, babe. I'll come running. I mean, it is. It's the uh, it's apocalyptic imagery. But then he also, once again, he goes from metaphor the possibly more down-to-earth stuff when he's talking about, um, I've been sliding down rainbows, I've been swinging from the stars, like talking about maybe the good times, but now this wretch in be- beggar's clothing bangs his cup against the bars. And I love a good uh, down-by-law, like uh, down-and-out uh, guy slapping his-, his mug against the bars. But... Eric, I'm glad you brought that up. Do you realize that, that the inverse of that is brought up in the next song? That would make sense. That would make absolute sense because it is about... Fall, kind of falling from grace uh and so maybe all the apocalyptic imagery is just you know he feels like his world's ending um but he still has this one person that 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 he's going to go to um that love love will make it all okay um beautiful it's romantic i do like the connection to the next track um steve you actually uh you're helping me catch that now i i uh, didn't necessarily make that connection The connection I did make was the birds, the apocalyptic birds are brought up in the first track. And so uh, I did, I did, I did kind of track that. The song is great though. It's, uh, one thing I like is it it, it moves and it shimmers. The guitar work shimmers. It's almost, uh, it's almost uh, Johnny, Johnny Marr. Uh, or, or like shoegazy kind of shimmering guitar, um, but of course, when you put that to more of a of a Americana feel to it, it it, it has a different approach. It definitely has a unique sound to it. Um, I do like that. Yeah, I think I think it sounds like a, a single. I, I think Blixabargled. I, we're not giving him enough credit
2: with his weird, strange guitar playing, and I think it's definitely a highlight of this album. And you see some of it on this track where he can play pretty, but it's still a little uh, jangly and dark which I kind of I mean that could be actually the the Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds or the whole oeuvre of Nick Cave is hey it could be pretty but it's also going to be jangly and dark and I think Blixa was just uh he perfected that and I think this is a very very pretty song and uh Mark what do, what do you think about this song
1: the song itself it sounds probably the most mainstream ready for radio song uh, probably off of the whole record um I do enjoy this song quite a bit. Um, if you have seen the accompanying music video, uh, it almost looks like it could be a video that would be a cousin to the Friday I'm in Love video by The Cure. Um, and, you know, they're, sta- they're on a stage. The curtain keeps coming up and down. Um, he's kind of got that, that crooning uh, microphone that he's singing into. Um, and I did catch the connection between, uh, this song and brother, my cup is empty. Uh, gone are the days of rainbows gone are the nights of swinging from the stars. And, uh, uh, obviously we'll, we'll talk more about brother. My cup is empty in probably in the next three minutes. Uh, but, uh, that certainly is a direct correlation between that.
3: Oh yeah. I'm looking it up now. It's like, it's like, uh, yeah, there it's very intentional. That's great. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah. Towers of Ivory, you got birds uh and you know it could be even said as uh as the apocalypse, you know, birds either are delivering souls to heaven or they're sometimes picking uh you know using their beaks to uh essentially give you that violent death. So giveth and taketh away it seems a little bit on this one. Um I mean, it sounds pretty because if you're not really focusing on the lyrics, you're just hearing the straight to you mm-hmm. or straight at you. And you think, wow, this is a great song to sing to my girlfriend or put this on, um, like I said, at a wedding. No,
2: it's like the people that, you know, they, they, they you know, what, what are some other songs like that? Really pretty songs people totally misinterpret. Like, I feel like uh, U2's got a couple of those, I feel. All oh
1: right. sure, I mean, uh, I, I mean,
2: <laughs> every breath you every every breath you take—that's the one. Every breath you take, people think that's romantic. Like, no, that song's about a stalker.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, in that same vein of songs that are misinterpreted uh, all the time, is "Born in the USA." It's not a romantic song, but my god,
2: that's, that, that's the number one. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
1: absolutely. Um, <laughs> anyhow, uh, straight to you solid track. Uh, I would say it's probably the most radio friendly track out of the entire record. Um, and, uh, it's very enjoyable.
2: You know, you know, something Mark brought up, something you brought up that I want to touch on is, uh, the video and how, yeah, it's got them like, kind of like, you know, it's kind of, it's romantic, but at the same time, kind of comical. And as you go back through a lot of their eighties work, there is, I mean, there's a covers album where they cover Elvis and, uh, you know, they're dressed up in suits and they kind of they kind of like have this period where they're ironically dressing up. They're ironically maybe putting on like a show or a play like in the uh, The Weeping Song video. And then eventually the irony goes away. And that's what they're really doing. And they really are dressing up. They really are putting on shows. And I, I actually like that evolution. I think the cure kind of did the same thing. I, I, there's that period in the eighties where some of these dark romantic bands would try to make fun of something they actually wish they could do for real. And I feel like the cure and uh, Nick cave both ended up just making that progression. And then eventually just said, Hey, no, you know what? We are a, a band that likes to write love songs about, you know, love. So I think it's pretty cool.
1: Right absolutely i mean they they do it in their own way and i 100 percent agree that i i do see a connection between this one and into my arms all right so let's go into track four uh it looks like we all need a refill because brother my cup is empty I,
0: buy no more whiskey. I have to go home the pit, the bridle, and the thrashing cane The stirrup, the harness, and the whip, and me The pickled eye, and the shrink, and brave Brother, um, buy me one more drink Explain the nature of my pity Let me tell you once again I am the captain of my pain My cup is empty, and I haven't got a penny But I find no more whiskey I have to go home
2: I can't all right, now I think it's I think it's Eric's turn to be the one that talks first, but I want to start just by saying this uh, song title is amazing. I just always this song title is one of the greatest song titles of all time.
1: <laughs> it really is. Uh, so, brother, my cup is empty. Um, it, it sounds like it could be a Delta Blues uh, song title, um, and uh, before I tell about my interpretation of what Barney Gumble is probably saying in Moe's Tavern and the Simpson Springfield land. Let's hear what Eric has to say.
3: And Steve, you're right. It's multifaceted. I mean, you know, needing another, that, that last, that another shot, but you ran out of booze, but it also is just when well, you got no more, you have given all you could to the work week. You get, you got no more energy. Uh, you're wearing down brother. My cup is empty. It's, it's, it, you, there's it's, can use it for a lot of different things i I do appreciate that um yeah i mean this song uh you know just in the last 30 seconds of talking i think initially when i did my uh, research i did make the connection between this and the last song um and steve but you not you you knocked it out of the park when you said it's the inverse because this one does have the same lines about like remembering the good times um but then now feeling like a prisoner but before the world was falling apart. His world was falling apart, but he had that love to, to, to be with, to go home to. This one, he doesn't want to go home. Um, so, you know, brother, my cup is empty. I haven't got a penny. For to buy no more whiskey, I have to go home. So, like, he's like, you know, when I run out of money, that means I have to go home. And that's the last place I, I want to be. So he feels like a prisoner there. And, you know, he has, there's, there's some fantasies about, I, I can't blame it all on her. To blame her would be a lie. For many a night, I lay awake and wish that I could watch her die. Definitely, uh, got got a little bit of a toxic relationship happening, happening there. Um, the delivery, the delivery of that line is awesome. Yeah, the, the, I cannot blame it on her. To
2: blame on her would be a lie. I just, it's so good.
3: This is a modern, a modern blues song that just truly hits it out of the park. It's, it just, it captures the spirit of a lot of those old, like you know good for nothing woman blues <laughs> or whatever from you know what i mean like uh there's there's a thousand of them all those dusty old mississippi delta blues about uh uh trouble at home um and this fits right in uh but it, it also does have a uh quite a nice little rockabilly blues riff uh that goes on and a ton of theatrics um and dynamics so um this is good this is kind of yeah this this one ties very well into the just pastiche of this record, especially the last song, Sister Song, to uh, the last one. Um, yeah, I like it. I like it quite well.
2: Well, this is this is one of my favorite Nick Cave songs, and I've got probably a hundred favorite Nick Cave songs, but this one, since the first time I heard it, I've just always thought this song is cool as fuck. I don't know how else to put it, but just the opening, guitar strumming with the, 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 the brother, my cup is empty, and then kicking into the song. I love it when there's a a perfect meld of a uh, just, you know, guitar, vocals, and then kick into the rest of the song. But the rest of the Bad Seeds crash in. It's awesome on this track. And I think it's great to, yeah, come, you've got that semi-romantic song. Then you're back into a track that kind of puts you back in the same mindset the tracks one and two had you in. Uh, I think it works perfectly. Like, you you've got the romance of the last track, but nope, nope. Now you're back into the alleyways and the, the Drex and the the beggars, you know, and a guy screaming about, he is the captain of his pain. I I just that line right there. I am the captain of my pain. That's what the the hell does that mean? I I don't know specifically, uh, uh, but I like the way it sounds.
3: Well, if he, if he, if, if, if his home life is so miserable, um, but he keeps going home, uh, He's, you know, Basically, he's saying he's done this to himself. He's, he's, uh, he's built this life that, that he can't stand. <laughs> it's pretty,
2: pretty sad. Yeah, and his frantic like, begging delivery as the song progresses just gets more exasperated and theatrical. And, you know, one more drink, my brother! And he's like howling and begging. And you've got the, the organs are doing this cascading effect that are just... It's wonderful. I think it's a, it's a awesome track. I think it's another great example of lyrical content being married to a delivery that with the music arrangement, all just is a perfect, just met and just mix. I, uh, I, I think it's a, it's a great track. I love it. Another great song on this album.
1: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I, I'm undecided whether this might be my favorite uh, track on this record or if another one is. Um, I always think that this is the brother song of Papa Won't Leave You Henry. Um, I feel like they exist in the same world. Um, and I am the captain of my pain. How I interpret that, Tis the bit, the bridle, the thrashing cane, the stirrup, the harness and the whipping mane, the pickled eye and the shrinking brain. I mean, good lord. That is a hell of a segment right there.
2: Everything everything you just said, the way he delivers it, you're just like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like and it's just it's and, and I don't you know, I don't imagine the bad scenes to be a band that had a lot of takes. And some of the stuff that they ended up with on record, I'm just like, this is a fucking masterpiece. How'd you do that? And that 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 the batch of lyrics you just said, the way he delivers it, it just it's perfect.
1: Right. Um I mean I Uh, you know, interpret that, that he's able to control the pain. um, And even though that he does this to himself, he likes it. You know, Um, this is what he enjoys riding around on the lyrics on this whole record. Just blow me away. I, I think that he has got such a great way to tell a story in such an immersive way with his lyrics being so just image rich. Uh, I've been sli- sliding down on rainbows. I've been swinging from the stars. Now this wretch in beggar's clothing banks his cup across the bars. Um, and it's certainly a callback between uh that last song that we had talked about, um, where he's not uh sliding down on rainbows anymore. Um, or uh, gone are the nights of rainbows, gone are the nights of stars. And so um, it's just interesting that straight to you comes before this, because it would be almost be like you sobered up in straight to you a little bit. (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, this is a really strong track. Um, I I found this uh, description on, on the internet. Can't remember where I got it. So, just from one of those comment pages when people were discussing the song facts, and someone said, When your relationship is over, when your heart is cracked open and leaking blood on your pinstripe suit, when you're out of cash and you need something to numb the pain of a breakup, tell that wretched dude at the bar to buy you a drink. And I feel like this is a great way to just summarize uh, this song. Um, it's a good song. Very, very good song. So, with that, let's talk about Christina. The Astonishing
0: Christina, the astonishing lived a long, long time ago. She was stricken with a seizure at the age of twenty two. They took her body in a coffin. To a tiny church in Lay, where she sprang up from the coffin just after the Agnes Day. She sawed up to the rafters.
1: All right, so that was Christina the Astonishing. Uh, this song and uh, is based off of Christina Mirabalis, a holy woman and a saint born in Belgium. And there's certainly a story behind this. And I will let probably Eric tell you that story. But first, let's hear what Steve has to say about Christina the Astonishing.
2: Now, this is my least favorite song on the album. And it still means it's not a bad song by any stretch. It's just never really stuck to my ribs while the rest of the album is a full course meal for me. I do really like the keyboards in it. They are haunting. They kind of have a Monkey Island vibe. They sound like MIDI tracks, which is really good for me, actually. Um, but I just, you know, I, I the, the one part of the song that I always remember is that there's... There's a line he delivers twice where it sounds like my CD skipped. I don't know if you guys noticed this.
1: What? The stink of human sin. Yes. It, is the stink of human sin. Exactly.
2: Yeah, It sounds like it skipped. And of course, it's by design. But yeah, I don't have a lot to say about this track. I actually, I have all my notes tonight and I literally put on this one, leave it to the guys. <laughs> it's just, it's just, uh, it's, it's not my song, but it doesn't detriment from the quality of the album. I just do not have much to say about it.
1: I hear you. Eric.
3: Yeah yeah I, I mean, I would agree that this is a lull in this album um, I don't know if we'd you know call it a misstep because I think it I think it works thematically it you could even call this a little proto ghost teen song uh other than a little click percussion, yeah, it's all organs and actually some of some of nick's best best singing, like range wise on the album, um but doesn't go. Doesn't go a lot of places, and it does. It does. It does leave you feeling a little unsatisfied compared to the rest of the tracks on here. So I. I, I do. I do agree with that. I mean, I'll
2: tell you. I'll tell you this much. It's not like it's a, a huge misstep. They played it sixty-one times in their career. So that's a that's a good amount of times. They they played it live a few times.
3: Uh, Christina the Astonishing. Um, she was somebody that some people regard as a Christian saint, but she's not officially recognized as one. Um. And the stories around her are pretty cool um, where she'll like uh, throw herself in a furnace and walk out unscathed or like fall off rafters because she can't stand the smell of human greed around her. So basically she would do all these um, masochistic acts of self-harm because she couldn't bear the greed uh, of humans around her. And I think that's, uh, that's why like, you know, she's respected in some groups. And um, I think that's pretty cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I kind of see how that fits in here because a lot of the songs maybe are about, you know, human lust, desire, greed, uh, acting selfishly. And this is somebody, act, you know, essentially acting selfless or, or, you know, doing these crazy things to prove a point. If the myths are true. Um, so I actually think reading about Christina the Astonishing was maybe more satisfying than the song itself. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it's got some good atmosphere to it. I'll give it that. And, uh, uh, you know, he brought a story of, of somebody that I think is, is worth hearing. So, um, yeah, That's what I got.
1: I'll agree that, um, if you're going to be seeing Nick Cave live and in the middle of the set, they pull this one, this is a, uh, bathroom break song or a, uh, get a new beer song. Um. It's not bad by any means. Um, And I'm sure live, it's got some great lighting effects going on here. Uh, Very haunted, uh, whoa, woes in here. Very ghostly. And it fits the song uh, topic pretty well. So you've got someone who's considered... Who potentially could be a mad woman if all things apparently it was believed that she had a seizure so severe that many believed to be her, her she was dead um and uh it, it sounds like a, a scary story um if you really kind of break into the history of uh christina Mira, mirabellus mirabellis i think that's how you pronounce it but look that up i mean honestly um when it comes to kind of medieval type uh horrors that are put on some of these saints in the Catholic religion it's like Jesus Christ people <laughs> how did we evolve from this um but yeah there you go Christina the Astonishing the title sounds like it could be about a female magician but it's about a uh a saint who apparently was considered dead and was levitating through the rafters and smelling sin so there you go Something for the kids.
3: Oh, yeah. Don't grab any of those cookies while they're, while they're, while they're cooling. Uh, Christina the Astonishing will smell you. Sick little greedy bastard. Yeah.
1: Oh, boy. Um, so let's go into track six. Sounds like someone's coming into town. I'm going to tell you a story about when they first came to town. So let's listen to when I first came to town.
0: When I first came to town. All the people gathered round, they bought me drinks. Oh, Lord, how quickly they changed their tune. When I first came. People took me round from end to end, like someone me take around a friend. Oh, how quickly they, they change the tune! Suspicion and dark murmurs surround me. Everywhere I go, they confound me. As all the blood on my hands is there For every citizen to see Oh sweet Jesus There is no turning back There's always one more town a little
1: all right, so that was when I first came to town. It starts out like a troubadour plucking it away the way on the back of a stagecoach as they're rolling into town. Um, so you get a little duet action on this one here, and I had to... Make sure that it wasn't actually a female vocal in the background. It's our good dear friend Conway Savage helping him out. Um, it's based partly on a Karen Dalton recording of the traditional song "Katie Cruel," and I did not listen to that, but you can apparently hear that on this compilation called "Original Seeds, Volume One." And I'm going to let Steve or Eric, excuse me, uh, tell him tell me your thoughts on this one.
3: Thanks. uh yeah, the song opens up, and actually uh who who's the producer for this album?
1: uh David Briggs from briggs yeah,
3: uh, yeah. this yeah. is this is our this this the opening of this song could have been plucked from like harvest by Neil young like it it has a very seventies folk rock sound to it as it opens, but it goes places darker and more more kind of raucous than uh than than that would than old Neil would ever go um. But I definitely hear, you know, hear that production work there. Um, this song itself is, uh, you know, it's biblical. It is, a, it is a telling of the mark of Cain through the eyes of somebody that lives in this world, or as Steve put it, this bad seas town. Um, if this album was a story, this would have been the first track. Um, but thank goodness it's not, because the first track needed to hit a little bit harder and Papa Don't Leave Me Henry hits a lot harder than this song. But it is a, it is a good track, nonetheless. Um, and it's about, you know, uh, suspicion and dark murmurs surround me. Everywhere I go, they confound me. As though the blood on my hands is there for every citizen to see. Um, it's, it goes with that Mark of Cain story where, you know, there's no bad act. You don't just get away. You don't just walk away. It, it haunts you. And it makes you paranoid and suspicious that everybody else know, knows and it taints your everyday life. Um, and uh, I think that's very effective. Um, but yeah, the, the song starts out kind of folky and then all the other bigger, like louder instruments start mimicking it. And then, oh boy, towards the last third of the song, when the harmonica kicks in, I'm all there for it. It's fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's uh you know, possibly a forgettable song on the album, but I think there's enough there story-wise and sonically for me.
1: There you go. Steven, when I first came to town. Um...
3: Well, I, I wasn't going to have, you know, I, I
2: was just going to echo a lot of what Eric said, but then in a, I don't know if he's drinking tonight or what it is, but possibly forgettable song. I mean, that, that's a... That's a terrible thing to say about this.
3: Track. I'm actually not really drinking tonight. It, it's not uh, Nick Cave's part one and two. Uh, no,
2: no, no. <laughs> Possibly forgettable. I mean, explain yourself. How, how, how is this song not great?
3: No, I, I said I like I this one. I just mean that uh, among an album of heavy, heavy hitters that uh, I'll go to sleep singing the lyrics over and over again, they're, they're, there's not necessarily the uh, the hooks or the melodies of those. That, uh, get through, that are earworms for me. But I, like I said, there's enough in there sonically and story-wise to be a, an important track. Well,
2: interesting, because I feel that this song, while not my favorite song in the album, definitely just lays the table. Even though it comes in towards the end of the album, this song kind of sums the, the whole album up. I mean, if this is Bad Seeds Town, this is the guy coming to town for the first time. And just the whole vibe of just kind of showing up and just being like, huh. When I got here, things were kind of okay, but everybody started treating me a little bit more and more like shit. It sums up this record, in my opinion. Uh, I I love the guitar plucking. There's a very good Western vibe to this song. Uh, The guitar with that bass line and the baritone and in the beginning with the drums kicking in, the song has good rising action to it. Uh, If you were to, you could probably take this song and give it to the Pogues, and swap out Nick for Shane McGowan, and speed it up a touch. And it's a Pogue song. Uh, I I just there's some vibes there I'm getting that are are Pogish, if you will. Uh, that 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 Conway Savage that oh sweet Jesus backup vocal just it'd be steal my heart. I love it. Um, again, the backup vocalizations on this album are kind of a secret sauce. And, and this song to me is a movie. It's got heavy strings that swell and push the song forward. Very cinematic, and the harmonica, like you said, Eric, is great. And it reminds me that at times, like many great artists, I do think the Bad Seeds were uh, big fans of uh, Enio Morricone, and I think it shows up in this track.
1: Yeah, I definitely get uh, coming home from the Civil War vibes on this one. Um, uh, not only—I even hear a little bit of The Good Son, um, kind of that song structure, that song styling on this one. Uh, And I think it's worth mentioning. And I'm really kind of surprised that neither of you caught this. But this song really has the same build-up structure and really message as Bob Dylan's stuck inside a mobile with the Memphis blues again.
0: Deep inside my heart I know I can't escape Oh mama Can this really be the end? To be stuck inside of Mobile with the Memphis Blues again.
1: That medley or the melody that you uh, get with, Oh Sweet Jesus, This Really Is The End, um, is pretty much the same melody as, Oh Mama, Can This Really Be The End? To be stuck inside of Mobile Mobile with the Memphis Blues again. Two
3: albums in a row that we've referenced that track. That has to be, that had to to
2: be in purpose. That had to be.
3: Oh, Mama!
1: Uh, great song by Bob Dylan, and it's a pretty good song by Nick Cave. I will agree with Eric a little bit. There are times um, towards the back half where I'm like, "Oh, what song was that again?" Oh, okay, this song. This song is a good song. Good song. Um, but I never, uh, I can agree with where you say where it's somewhat forgettable, meaning that it's not a song that I immediately know by reading the title of How It Goes. And so that's kind of, even though I've studied this record, uh, uh, and I do really like this record, it's like, oh, what's that one? So
2: Not, not everything's going to be Wang Chung, all right? So let's just uh, get over it.
1: But as soon as it starts going, I'm like, yeah, right on. It's good strings, uh, good, good melody, um, great singing. So yeah no it's it's a it's a good song all hangs together
2: so all all these all these things you just said you're like oh so yeah these are all great things that make a great song so yeah it's not a bad song yeah exactly that's my point
1: exactly it all adds up it all adds up all right so let's go into our next track which potentially could have been found a home on murder ballads let's talk about john finn's wife
0: Well, next time the cops are all out the town But it don't look like no trouble there so they head for the bar and they on these suits I slipped my hand between the thighs of Jumpin's wife They see the unawakened thighs It was a warm and very ferocious night And the moon was full of blood and light And my eyes grew small and my eyes grew tight As I clodded in the ear of Jumpin''s wife
1: So that was John Finn's Wife. Um, Certainly are getting close to that sound of, all right, I've got a story to tell you. Gather round. Um, So this obviously is about John Finn's Wife and what she's been up to and essentially what uh, our dear friend and humble narrator is up to with John Finn's Wife. So let's hear, I think it's, uh, it's Steve's turn on this one. I think
2: so. I think I've been waiting at the ceremony. uh, There's like bonfires and, uh, I've been, I've been picking locks. I shouldn't. And Oh God, it was uh, John Finn's new wife who nobody really knows anything about her, but oh, there she is dancing around with her tattooed breasts And uh, now we're in a firefight, Uh, just uh, just like Willem Defoe says in *Boondock Saints*. There was a firefight. Uh, This song, the song describes a night where everybody's gathered together, and it breaks out into a fucking uh, gunfight, and uh, I I think a stabbing fight if I read the lyrics correctly. But what a great song! It's just it's a great song. It it sets a mood with the you know yeah. Listen, there was a Something's going down. It's kind of how the song starts. There's a big ceremony going down. And the the delivery of it gets you intrigued. And as he begins to describe John Finn's wife showing up with her tattooed breasts and flaming eyes, the music picks up with it. And the band is tuning up this entire time and they really kick off when the shit hits the fan. And it's just magic how the lyrics describing what's going on and the band breaking into the room. just, Just the... The narrative and the musicality are tied together so well. It's it's audio literature, if you will. Um, it's a it's a favorite song for me on the album. It always has been. It, it caught me from the first time I heard it. It's a builder. It's got rising action, but the rising action is just like it's almost like a heat. Like like when you hear the song, you can feel things getting tense and hotter, and it's just a goddamn. It's a, it's a, you feel like you're, in a, you're a frog in a pot getting boiled and everything explodes in a fucking battle. John Finn dies. And then there's this beautiful coda that's just wonderful. The whole song changes for the last 30 seconds. It talks about John Finn's wife and the flowers in her hair and falling to the ground. The backup vocals singing along about what they're seeing is just so fucking pretty. And the flies did hum and the flies did buzz and poor John Finn lying dead on the ground. It's a goddamn masterpiece. Masterpiece. That's it. That's my that's my one word review. Masterpiece.
1: Eric, do you agree with Steven? Is it a uh, a painting in song?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Listen, I I've been on record. I don't have a lot of patience for people that talk their way through a song um but i do make a couple of exceptions and that's tom waits and mr nick cave and he doesn't talk his way through the song but it starts out the first two minutes it's pretty talky talky song story and um but when you get to the the you know when you get to the in the heat and in the din and that's that heat that's like it feels like you're in a saloon and they had the fires raging but maybe it wasn't as cold as they thought it was going to be and everybody's sweating and uh you're lusting after the big criminal in town john finn he's the big gangster you're lusting after his wife
2: that, that, that's interesting eric i love that you bring that up so do you think he's a gangster because when i think of john finn i just think of a i think of a guy but i guess you're right he probably is he he probably is king shit of fuck mountain huh
3: yeah he is king shit of fuck mountain. <laughs> yeah i i think there's enough there's enough lyrics there to make you kind of think that and uh it's a it's a hoedown, and he's just stuck on this lady, and he knows he's gonna make a move, and he waits. The cops show up, cause the cops show up. That's when the gunfight goes off. The cops show up, not not at at our narrator, but at John Finn. That's why that's kind of telling me he's a he's a criminal. Cops show up, and that's when he makes the move on John Finn's wife. Well, after he takes down John Finn, and uh, it, it really it paints a wonderful story. And really, it starts off song story in little guitar, little something here and there. But at 2.10, all the instruments kick in and it's over. It's just, it's just uh, uh, riveting all the way to the end. And yes, the ending that you're talking about, that coda, it kind of reminds me how we were talking about um, Tonight by Iggy Pop, where it kind of becomes like a 50s, uh, almost like a 50s uh, intro, at, but it's an outro, you know, and that song like a leader of the pack or something towards the end of this track.
2: Great. Good, good analogy there. I, I uh, yeah, I, I would love to hear Iggy and Nick do a duet. Now that I think about it, that'd be a, that'd be a that'd be a bassy deep song.
1: John Finn's wife. Um, I I am a big fan. it, it is, um, uh, kind of like one of my favorite Nick Cave songs, if not my favorite Nick Cave song. Stagger Lee. It does have that uh, same sort of um, just chaos going on here. Um, it certainly is implied that no one has ever even seen. John Finn's wife, they don't even know her fucking name. Um, is he keeping her under lock and key? And um, just the the chaos that ensues in this song. And um, I just really like how the story unfolds. And that coda, that lying dead upon the ground, you know, like the story's over. You can all go home now. Isn't that fun? Um, one of my favorite reviews of, uh, that I dug up in my research was. From Gum, I know that they're, they've been around for a while, the online blog, uh, but this is what they said about this song. Uh, for this listener's money, though, the true gem of Henry's dream is John Finn's wife. It finds Cave in world, wonderful storytelling mode, and yet his words are imagist and ambiguous enough to avoid accusations of oversimplification. And still, despite the fact that the song is clearly driven forward by Caves' constantly tripping, spilling words, the arrangement is more subtle than you might recall if it's been a while. Harvey plays some organ in the background, and the strings that move alongside a few verses are plain enough so as not to intrude. The most thrilling thing, however, is the wonderful, fluid way the whole band trades instrumental emphasis with the shifting action and mood of the song. Casey's bass playing works as a soothing anchor against the impatience of uh, Blixa's background guitar that gathers in gutters like the rising tension of which the narrator speaks just really, really strong like i that was perfect way to describe this song, and I was like that's I'm gonna just lift that
2: and shout out again to to Martin Casey, who's been in the band since this album. I believe is that what we established?
1: yeah, his first one yeah
2: he's he's there since in just. I love that guy. When you watch him live, I think I've mentioned this before. He's just such a bass player. It's awesome. He's just, he's there to do his job. He looks kind of like he's sleazy, like he knows how to rock. He could write a song too, but he's not going to let you down. That's Martin Casey.
1: Certainly this is uh, kind of putting everything together um, that they've worked upon and uh, really having that maturity, that mature sound to really uh, carry through um, Nick Cave's lyrical talent and um, it's not my favorite song off the record but it is very very good um, I, I think it is certainly the high point of the record
2: Could I ask you Mark, is your favorite song the next song?
1: It is not, but the next song is a good one It is um, uh, And the next song is Loom of the Land
0: Along the loom of the land The mission the tower at St. Mary's Down a reprobate field And I saw that the world Was all blessed and bright And Sally breathed softly In the majestic night Oh baby please don't cry my
1: and that was a little bit of loom of the land. And any time that I hear the word or see the word loom, uh, it's that damn LucasArts game.
2: <laughs> That's great LucasArts game. A great LucasArts game by Brian Moriarty, programming extraordinaire. Ask me all about Loom.
1: Uh, But Loom, it's a vague and often exaggerated first appearance of an object seen in the darkness or a fog. That is a great, um, great description of what that word means. And uh, honestly, it's a good way to even describe the overall mood of this song. Um, But Eric, what's your take on Loom of the Land?
3: Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, it is... Uh, we found an untrodden path, followed it down, the moon in the sky like a dislodged crown. My hands, they burn, the fold of a breathing milky white air from deep in her throat. It's, um, it's people, you know, it's these travelers in the dead of night, cold, uh, looking, you know, wandering, looking for something. Uh, of course, metaphors could be made, to uh first of all the in itself has a few thematic ties to this as far as wandering, trying to find a town, trying to find a home but and then especially like a couple tracks ago with um sorry when I first came to town stuff like that where you know you're you're wandering it's hard to find a home when you have this guilt hanging over you this also has some religious ties to you know looking for Truth, like wandering and looking for that, that that truth that will find you, and maybe in the darkest hour, you see something come through the fog, and that's something to believe in. Um, and uh I mean I think it's 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 a it becomes a pretty epic ballad. It's uh it, dark folk for sure. This is the song I kind of tied to like this could be a Steve von Till or a Bonnie Prince Billy or a or a Blackheart Procession uh just really dark folk. Um, and it, it's haunting and it just gets into this haunting groove towards the end that's unbeatable and uh, just swoops, just swooping the whole time um, and mysterious. And like, it just captures that feeling across the whole album of, you know, whether you're wandering because you're running from something or you're running to something. Uh, this is that search in between the song. It's great. Steven.
2: Oh man. You know, I'm hard pressed to pick a favorite song off this album. This might be it. I don't know. Um, I think it's a masterpiece followed by a masterpiece, which was John Finn's wife. I, I've always really loved this song and I love with the capital L. I just, it's lush and it has this uh, delivery, this rom- this, this fatal romantic delivery that I find a lot of, uh, uh, uh the same reason that I love the album. No more shall we part? I think you'd probably put this album on that album or I'm sorry, this song on that album. Um, just a description of walking in the dark at the end of winter and they even describe like you know like the dirty end of winter the sun is melting the snow and they're leaving muddy tracks behind you that are dirty and shit and it just paints a really good picture of just this cold walk like if we took a walk outside right now on January uh, 18th tomorrow uh, you could probably describe this song um in other parts of Cal- of, of uh, the United States, because we actually it's unseasonably warm in California today. Anyhow, my point still stands that a very cold winter walk is what the song describes very well. And I think it's a uh, it's kind of a, like a, a level up from some of the fatal prettiness you found on the albums like The Good Son and your, your Funeral My Trial, which have really messy great love songs on them. I feel like this is uh, gets put in that category like a dark beautiful ballad and I think uh, just the production on the song actually is very good I think every instrument separated very well and the vocals are astounding I the, the baby plea don't cry I, I love the way that that is sung and I like everything about the song and there's also some really great Again, backup vocalizations from the Bad Seeds, doing like a crooning, doing a, ooh, it's just, it's a, it's a wonderful package. Big fan of the loom of the land and of the LucasArts video game uh, Mark brought up earlier, which is the second time we brought up LucasArts tonight. So that's a recurring theme on the goddamn podcast.
1: It's always there. It's always ever, uh, evervescent, I guess. This song always kind of takes me by surprise. Um, at, when it starts out, I'm like, okay. i just kind of taking it down a notch. But those choruses, those, oh, baby, please don't cry and try to keep your little head upon my shoulder, the way he sings that part is just absolutely an earworm. Stays with you. Those are undeniable. Um, this is certainly, I would say, the prettiest sounding song on the entire record, even though it does have that sinister kind of doom and gloomy feeling that you're getting but it just all is done so well agreed um you got some imagery of yeah a a young man and a young woman out there on the road by themselves really trying to um uh strive for something that is probably never there um if you really think about the loom of the land, meaning that the land that they're trying to get to or the destination that they're trying to get to is just never going to be within reach. Um, some people have taken uh, the, the line uh, quite literal, that her breast, it was small and warm in my palm, uh, almost as if it was either a Lolita reference or, God forbid, even a, a pedophilia thing going on small breast does not necessarily equate to someone that is uh, young. Um, it could be just someone that is not well endowed, and there's nothing wrong with that.
3: I, I don't think, uh, our, our boy Nick is not above uh, writing a song from a flawed storyteller, a flawed narrator, uh, or, or straight up a pedophile, as, as we would find out in, in murder ballads. Um, I don't get, there's no reason to believe that's the case in this particular track. Uh, based on what the song's about
2: no it's, it's it's just there if you're trying to look for it that's right but i do want to let's let i do want to take a moment though to talk about our boy nick and some of the songs he does write about and the, many dark romantic ballads and how i have mentioned that part of the reason that i like nick cave besides the fact that nick cave and the bad seeds have made fucking countless great albums is that they do appeal to women and uh, you know hats off to this weird looking motherfucker and he is he looks kind of like a uh like a vampire pig man, you know, and still, I think the power of his, his art, he's not classically handsome, but just, you know, the way he's always carried himself and like the, the, uh, the way that he has always been honest with his art, I think has made him appeal to everyone, including women. And I uh, just, he punches above his pay grade with that. Uh, You know, the guy's not a bullshitter. I just, I, I love the guy. And I, I think even though he looks like a weird fucking vampire man, that's why some ladies are like, Hmm, he's my guy. So
1: confidence can take you a long way. I'll just, yeah. And Nick cave has that in, uh, in spades.
2: It, yeah. It, it, it breaks through confidence and goes to like, he doesn't care, period. And, um, you know, I'm going to spend the eighties wearing a wife beater and writing weird poetry and addicts. And then, uh, uh, you know, getting in some strange suits and singing about the heavens crashing with really bad slick back hair. And uh it, it worked for PJ Harvey, so it should work for the rest of us.
1: I mean, that uh video that they did for Henry Lee, it's like the brother and sister? What what's what's happening here? <laughs> um, but yes. Anyhow, Loom of the Land. It's a Uh, Certainly, it's a deep cut in Nick Cave's catalog, and it is certainly a hidden gem. So let's round it out with looking through the shadows, trying to find that killer, Jack the Ripper. So there you go you got jack the ripper to close out henry's dream um i personally this is the song that always fights for my attention between this song my bro- uh, brother my cup is empty and the lead track of papa won't leave you henry those three tracks right there of course john finn's wife is is up there as well um, but those three tracks for me always are fighting for my attention of what song do I want to listen to first when I listen to this record. And so this song here, if you um, are a little bit further down in your studies with Nick Cave when he did his Man project, there's a song on there called No Pussy Blues. And I feel this is a another retelling of that woeful song of yeah, just trying to get it in, and it's just not working out. <laughs> um, so go ahead, uh, tell tell us your thoughts on Jack the Ripper, there, Stephen.
2: You know, it's funny about uh, Jack the Ripper. It's not one of my favorite Nick Cave songs, but I, I love it. And I, 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 the audacity of it, I think, is that they've done this album, which is a you could call it a transitionary album. It's got some more, it's got some more uh, arrangements on it, some uh, dabbling in. Just uh, trying to have a more lush sound, I guess. But then they close with a track that definitely has DNA of the bad seeds back to the birthday party. Um, it's, a, it's a it's a jangly song, just like our friend jangling Jack. And it's uh, noisy, stabby. The lyrical content is uh, messy. And when they play this live and they play it to this day, He's stalking around the, uh, the, the stage, pointing at the audience. And uh, it's just a, it's, it's, it's kind of a brutal way to end the album uh, uh, audibly, I think. You've got some songs that have some pretty traditional romantic weight to them. This track right here is just, a, it just kind of brings you down in, into a dark, dark place. And I think it's awesome. I think it was an awesome choice to do this. I think it's a great way to close the album. And uh, it's it's you know it's the story of the viper, which is the story of the penis.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and uh, long and lean, and it's got a poison tooth. Yeah, and I
2: don't I don't know if it's a if it's Blixa or Martin Casey or Conway Savage doing the backups on it, but the hey, I love those. I yeah, love I love them. Yeah.
1: In the video, um, they did do a video for this one, and I think, yeah, you, you get a lot of that. I love that, uh, you know, just telling it to the boys, and the boys are agreeing with you. So, yeah, go ahead, Eric. What do you got? But, yeah, this is
3: definitely a song about an ice queen. Um, and, uh, uh, but, no, yeah, I mean, every time he goes to kiss his wife, she screams, Jack the Ripper, and uh, it's which is humorous, which is kind of hilarious, uh, if, you, if your mind's eye can picture that scenario. Um, but, uh, you know, chances are as the song goes on, it's, it's pretty, it's, it it is pretty menacing and you almost get it more like, like, uh, this is the guy's version of events and he's kind of creating this monster out of his wife. Um, and, uh, uh, you basically, you know, yeah. Also talking about his Viper with a poison tooth and, uh, the backup harmonies are great. Uh, Acoustic guitar is shredding. This is the bluesiest track on here, but it's thick. It it actually is. Somehow it's also one of the heaviest songs on here. Um, Great closer. And uh, I would say that this could be the same character that uh, brother, my cup is empty is about. I do see some thematic ties to that particular track.
1: It's a good one. Yeah, no, I think that is actually a pretty good um, reading on that. You know, maybe that's why he is going out to the bar and you know it's i don't necessarily think that this uh narrator is in a, an abusive relationship um i think it's just the just the sexual frustration you know um it, it it can happen where he feels that uh and it could be of something of his own doing right um we're no, just getting one side of the story yeah and yeah and uh i i just like the the whole band just everything that's working here—it's just a tight little song. Um, Nick Cave is really, you know, putting all of his uh, gusto into this one. And the video itself is just a fun performance video, and uh, that does close out Henry's Dream.
2: Well, I, I do want to say that I, th- I think it's an awesome choice to close the album with it because you could put it anywhere else, and it's a—it's a fun song with that same message. Fun, lack of better term. But having it be at the very end, I, I, there's just something audacious about that. I think it's a good, uh, you know, this album's kind of taking us through like a couple of weird, like heavy stories. And this is still a heavy story. I mean, essentially, this is the episode of Married with Children. But um, I, I think it's a, it's a fun way to just kind of take a, a a dark breath of, uh, have a laugh at the end. I don't know.
1: Right. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, just... The element of Americana blues, uh, it's, it permeates throughout the whole record. And, it, you know, it's just one of those things that you're going down to the bar, the blue, blue, oh my God, the blues bar, and you're just kind of telling these songs of woe about how the lady is just not, uh, not giving it up. And just, it's a common trope. And, uh, it's one that he doesn't necessarily. Abandon, and i do recommend checking out that other song no pussy blues it's uh, it's quite quite good um so there there you go um final thoughts on this record um i personally enjoy this record quite a bit it's not my favorite nick cave album uh definitely has some flaws uh, but i do think that it is uh it ranks very high uh throughout his whole career um, so for me, I'll start it out by giving it um, four point five empty cups and uh, out of five empty cups. how about uh, how about you, eric? what What are you giving this one?
3: Oh, this is a great album. Um, I think I said it on the last episode, but uh, Nick Cave has some really like his 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 none of his albums are bad. and his his songs that are his songs specific songs that are amazing can elevate a whole album past good to amazing. Not all of his albums are banger after banger, especially some of the early ones and some of the later ones. But um, this is almost banger after banger. I mean, it is it is very consistent. I go four point seven five on this bad boy, and once again, no missteps. Uh, I think it's purposeful to put a little lull in the middle. Um, uh, it's just, uh, that lull, you know, maybe could be a little bit more memorable. Um, the only thing keeping it away uh, from that elusive five out of five, but so damn good. Love the storytelling. He's setting himself up for murder ballads. He's fusing his Americana with some of the more, you know, gothy atmospheric stuff. Um, it's perfect. Uh. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you. Uh, this is my first deep dive into this particular album, and and not. Uh,
1: I'm glad to hear that it was uh, ranked high for you. That's awesome.
3: Oh so yeah, yeah. There's nothing but surprises around every corner for this one. Steven. well,
2: I've 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 owned this album for about 20 years, and Nick Cave is arguably, well, you know, like you know, like we we our favorite artists can kind of change a little bit, but we got we got our guys. Nick Cave's usually my guy more often than not. And um his album's up there in the the top of his albums. And like I said earlier, they just always had such consistent quality that it's hard to put a lot of the records above the other ones. I mean, we had our great talk with uh, the the team and Chris about the eras we like the most, and I can always kind of pick albums from those eras and still claim they are heads and shoulders at the top of what I'm looking for in a record. And uh, considering, I don't know when we'll talk about Nick cave again, it makes me biased. I mean, maybe, maybe season four will be all Nick cave. Who knows? Uh, I wouldn't mind that, but I'm going to take this chance to, and there's a little bit of bias here just because I love Nick cave. I want to sit down with the guy and talk to him and maybe Warren Ellis just about, you know, how they like their eggs. Everything. Just uh I, this album, Christina the Astonishing, even though it's not a great track, listen. Some days the most beautiful woman you ever see has a pimple. I'm giving this a five. There it is. I'm giving it a five because there's not a lot of chances to just talk about how much you love something. This is a chance that I had tonight, and I will give it a five.
1: Excellent. Yeah. No. I...
2: And I could give. I could give. I could give. A, I could give a five to like five other Nick Cave <laughs> albums. That's the thing. I just, uh, yeah, I feel like they just, uh, they've always, I don't, I don't know how those Australians figured it out, but more often than not, they were doing some fucking magic shit. So tip of the hat to Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Is
3: that our first five out of five this season? I think so. Uh,
1: uh this season it is. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Fantastic. B- excellent. And speaking of that, um, I think it's time that we bid, uh, Nick Cave, uh, a farewell for for this season. You never know; we could pick up one of his other records next season if we feel feeling froggy. Um, and not to mention, uh, as we had uh, really pointed out, that we were real close to just doing Nick Cave season. So, um, I,
2: I feel like even after talking about him as much as we did over the last few episodes, i no promises here, folks. But we probably, could, if we if we said, hey, you know what? All of the Nick cave albums, uh, the three of us probably could be like, yeah, we could we could do it I mean that's just a that's just a testament to the quality and the depth that you got there
1: yeah, that yeah, absolutely
3: later this very same evening wow, that was a great episode well. Good night Steve, good night Mark. Um, I'm just gonna do some research on our next episode and you guys can log off a little early, no problem. Or I guess you've already logged off. Um, you know, see, so that's how they, they, they just leave without saying goodbye. You know, I could just quit and see if Mark and Steve can find another intern. Let me just finish this tea. This is, uh, oh, this so is sleepy. What kind of tea is this? Sleepy time tea? But there's a bear on the cover. I thought bear meant virility and, and energy. Um, ferociousness. Why are you wearing a nightcap? Maybe just go shut eye for just a minute. A who, who is this man before me? Guten
0: Tag, Eric. Are you having this sweetest of dreams?
3: I, I don't know yet. I. Are you? Wait a minute! I noticed that white stripe in your hair. Anywhere? Are you? Are you Blixa Bargeld, famous bad seed?
0: That is me.
3: Well, what? Blixa, what are you doing in my dream? I mean, I know I just listened to a lot of bad seeds over the last month, and it makes sense my subconscious is, is coming back to you. But I f- feel like you've got a message for me,
0: young man. You cannot quit. Let me show you what happens if you quit the show. The future.
3: Wow, this is the future. Oh look, everybody's healthy. We can can be together in the same room again. Of course, not here in this in this possible future. I guess I've quit the show. There's Steven, and, and there's Mark. Oh, look at this, fellas. Oh, let's let's listen to what we're covering in this season four.
2: All right, now listen up. This right here is the best riff you're ever going to hear. Here we go.
0: They it with their stealing oh. lies, but they just can't oh. kill the
2: beast. Oh, good God. Oh. yeah. Oh, I get you right where it feels right, doesn't it? <sighs> I had to find the passage
3: back to the place I was to... Oh, God, no, you cruel ghost. Send me back to my own time. I hate the future. What can I do to avoid this cruel season four of Pod Like a Hole?
0: You must never ever feet.
3: Okay, never quit. We can avoid this, this boring, just drab fate of season four. What... What about Patreon? If we got more Patreon subscribers, would that also guarantee this future never comes to pass?
0: Yes. That will do trick.
3: Okay, well, then let me wake up so I can go make my present right.
0: Okay, put look down. You have a pet yourself.
3: Oh my god, what a dream. Well, that's all I needed. Back to the podcast, back to the research, the mission. Re-energized. First, though, let me just get a clean pair of pants. All right, so we roll um, all right. we're roll right. Rolling them bones.
1: Let's ro- roll them bones. I'm ready.
3: All right, here we go.
2: I really, I really hope it's something just like totally like fucking Public Enemy or something. Let's just, uh,
3: let's find out. All right. Ah, uh, here we go. All right, so this is twenty-two.
1: 22 Um, it is uh, one of Steve's picks Um, it was released in October 5th 2018 Um, the album is titled I loved you at your darkest by the band Behemoth
3: This is great.
2: <laughs> you know what's funny about this one is even just like even two days ago I was like, man, was that? Oh man, is that one too fucking just fucking dark for the the podcast? I don't even. Oh my god, what are the? All right, it's great. Well,
3: yep. What the the black hair dye might remain. <laughs> oh boy, looks like we're 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 heading up to the uh, cold Scandinavian North.
2: We're going to talk about things we've never talked about before. Uh, uh artists related to this band that's never been really a topic here steve's gonna talk way too much um it's gonna be interesting i i look forward to it i hope our listeners give the album just one listen that's all i ask if you if it, if it clicks it clicks if it doesn't well i'm not gonna blame you uh, you're weak-minded but that's fine but anyhow <laughs>
1: i know me and eric are uh staring down the barrel here of of prep work (laughs) just like well okay (laughs) um that's all but uh i'm excited this will be a fun one
2: you guys don't know i am i'm smiling so hard right now this is ridiculous i'm looking off into the distance in the darkness tonight and just be like this is what my life's all led to uh, Making my friends have to listen to this record. That was uh,
3: wonderful. Well, you know, as a Scandinavian boy, I uh, I look forward to a a brief return to the hinterland, and uh, yes, be fun.
2: All right then, Nurgle this should be fun. We're
3: going to talk about Nurgle.
1: All right, folks. Well, we hope that you, we uh, gave you a lot of information on Nick Cave. Um, certainly, um, he has so much in his catalog to go look at and of course on our next episode we're going to be talking about uh behemoth nominated by steven i loved you at your darkest uh, it'll be a very interesting conversation i can already imagine if you guys just want to so, you know,
2: save yourself the time go to wikipedia now and look up the word blast beats you'll, you'll be
1: halfway there <laughs> um as always this has been mark this has been uh,
3: apparently a very exposed Eric.
2: This, is, this has been Steve, and that's right. Uh, Eric, er, Eric wishes that people would expose themselves to him more,
0: but nope.
1: And we are Pod Like a Hole, and we'll see you next time. And as always, closer to pod.
0: Where's it the thunder without a sound? Here, said the writer, and took up his gun.